0: Welcome to our podcast on The Wire. My name is Barbara Whitman, and I'm the CEO of Artemia Communications, a full-service communications agency with Global Reach. Today's guest is Nora O'Brien, the CEO of Connect Consulting Services, Inc., a national healthcare emergency and business continuity management firm. Nora has served as an instructor for FEMA's Center for Domestic Preparedness, is a certified emergency manager, and served as the IAEM Healthcare Commerce Chair. Her company was named the 2018 Sacramento SBA Women-Owned Business of the Year. For more information about her background and extensive experience, please visit www.artemia.com and look for her on the wire episodes. Nora, welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having us. Oh, it's a pleasure, and. I was thinking, you know, as as I was uh, sort of pondering the questions to ask you, that since we're uh, ISO 14001 and TL9000 trained, certified, and compliant, obviously I have a great appreciation for all things disaster recovery and, more importantly, emergency preparedness, if you will, right? And as we progress in this conversation... I wanted to make sure that we focus also on small and diverse businesses, since that's our world also, and they don't always have the same kind of resources that maybe a large corporation has. And then the other thing I thought maybe to also from your vantage point to address is uh, it's so easy, at least, um, you know, we're headquartered in the Bay Area in San Francisco, uh, to think about earthquakes or wildfires. But obviously, there are lots of other scenarios that would require and benefit from preparedness right in that sense so um if we can keep that sort of in mind as a backdrop to our conversation then I'd love for you to sort of give us an overview maybe into the type of scenarios you deal with and most of all of course your role right your background your role and sure. what draws you to this area yeah focusing.
1: definitely I that's Nora Ryan Connect Consulting Services started organically. I had no idea I was going to be a business owner, to be honest with you. I have been in the field of emergency management, but I also kind of on a fluke ended up in this field of I worked for a trade association in California that represented nonprofit community clinics. And then shortly after 9 11, I was asked to go to a meeting who was handing out planning dollars for healthcare organizations that uh, needed a plan for disasters and i knew nothing about the field i knew how to spell the words emergency management since as much as i knew and i vaguely heard of femA i'm from california and it, as they as we say where the active of god theme park floods fires earthquake etc i've lived through all of that um, but i had no idea and walked into the field of emergency management and understood quickly that it's about community. And my background is community organizing. So it was a natural fit for me to to walk into the field and just fell in love with the field of emergency management because it's a field that is deeply committed to process improvement. How can we get it better? How can we do it better the next time? And thinking about small businesses and organizations, or even large bit organizations. The things to think about are really kind of key. A lot of people think that they really have to plan for everything. The answer's no to that. And what it's key, especially in California and across across the country, what you really need to do is think about doing a risk assessment for your organization. Even if you have five employees, even if you're a sole entrepreneur, even if you have 5,000 employees, you need to understand what your risks are, where your vulnerabilities are and where your hazards that you might that might impact your business, your organization and your community. So that risk assessment is the first place to start and a lot of people just don't even know where to start. So and and kind of asking and building on what you had asked about is what is our role in that? We're really here Connect Consulting is all of, we're there as your facilitator to drive the train, to get a plan, to have your staff understand those muscle memory resources and skills that are necessary to respond to and recover from disaster. Our goal is to not that we can write your plan. You can have no problem doing that, but you really need to be engaged in the process. And that's from top top leadership from the C-suite on down to the line level worker. They really need to have as much impact um, and involvement in the process as possible. Our job is to there again lead the train, lead get that plan across the finish line, tested, et cetera. But more importantly, to be there as a should the disaster happen, be there if, when you have to activate that plan, be there to provide technical assistance, whether it's on site or over the phone or. Via text, which we've done at two in the morning before Hurricane Katrina, uh, Hurricane um, Florence hit, we were texting back and forth clients, those kinds of things. But that that involvement is what what helps organizations not just survive a disaster, but more importantly, thrive a disaster.
0: Yeah, and I think the the parallel to sort of like when you get certified for ISO or TL nine thousand, right your right. templates and things like that, but you have to make them or customize them really to your organization, right? That's the whole point exactly. that is really fitting you. And I and what I'm hearing from you, if I understand correctly, is that it's actually similar in that way, right? That you help the companies, whatever size they are, to create a plan that that is really customized to them and fits their particular needs.
1: Right. And people come to us for different reasons. They come to us because they might have a regulatory need. And, you know, we spend a lot of time working with healthcare organizations that have a compliance requirement from the federal government. And there's other organizations that we've worked with that that same. So they either have a regulatory need or you want some peace of mind or you've survived a disaster and go, okay, I want to make, it came too close to call or someone else in my industry that was too close to call. I really have to get my act together. That's the types of things when, when, when we get those calls. Sometimes it's there for us to write your plans and assist you in, in, in getting your plans done. But what also people do is the key is not just writing the plan, but testing that plan. So we spend right. a lot of time with organizations, you know, sent, you know with the ISO standards as well as, it doesn't do you any good to have this beautifully color-coded binder that sits on a shelf that no one looks at. How you know right. where the plan gaps are, what I tell people all the time is we want you to fail spectacularly during an exercise or in a drill, because it means that you won't likely fail during the actual disaster. We want you to fail spectacularly. That is the key. And if you do you know, an evacuation drill and it's over in two minutes and you get out of the building and all of basically you proved that you can walk out of the building. You didn't. It's not based on your evacuation plan. It's it's not going to be tough enough, that's it's going to make sure that you're ready when something should happen. Oftentimes what people do is, you know, they're like, oh, we'll just get this drill done and we'll do, we'll do it once a month. And yeah, but if you don't change it up, but if, it, if you don't really test what's in the elements, are you doing just day shift? Let's say you have, you know, three shifts in your organization. Let's say you're manufacturing. Do you just do day shift and not night shift and not, you know, and not swings and only the day shift people know? you know what to do but the, the night shift folks something happens we're we're not trained on those kinds of things so that training and testing is really where you kind of know where that plan kind of meet, where the rubber meets the road
0: yeah and and I think maybe you can also address you know with the trend being so virtual these days right organizations have right. people across the country just like we do definitely not everybody is at headquarters anymore. Can you address how that still remains as something to to consider, right? Because yeah. I think partly the perception is that, oh, well, they're remote, they're telecommuting. So there's not such a need, but in fact, we all linked, right? So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Sure. So the t- virtual piece is really important because oftentimes we, we have clients that have virtual, basically their entire organization is virtual, which is great. But if they don't have their, a way for their staff to get you know, alternate access to the internet, alternate access to their database, and um, not just their database, their whole network, at some point, that, that, that's a real issue as well. What we've done is an example for an organization that has a, a potential risk of ransomware is we've actually done a virtual tabletop exercise. We set up a scenario and we set up what's referred to as injects. We set up injects, which are basically problems for the end problems for them to solve. And what we've asked them to do, okay, now, and we say, okay, this just now happened. And then give them a set of questions and cr- a set of injects. And then, okay, well, now, so, okay, we're moving into the scenario, the scenario, it's now four hours later, it's now six weeks later, it just depends and have them, you know, see how they would respond and how their plan would really help guide their process or not. That's really key. But that virtual piece is it's just because you're, you work virtually doesn't mean that everything's gonna work when you need it, you know. Another good example is we've, we've what we've been dealing in California is, you know, with the public safety power shutoff, a lot of people kind of really were left Kind of with their pants down, so to speak. Of okay, sure, I can still work. I right, no problem. But oh, I have no power. I have no internet. I have no internet. I can't. I can't work remotely, or I can't do ABC XYZ. So thinking about not just alternate access to the internet, but alternate power source, alternate staffing, alternate access to my database, those kinds of things. And when we do business continuity planning, that's something we consider that that's important for regardless of the size of your organization, you know, is whether if you, like I said, have five employees or a solo entrepreneur or you 5,000 employees, you have to think about ultimate workarounds of accessing your data, your your people, your process, your technology and your supply chain.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, we've, we've done a lot of outreach around the whole disaster preparedness in, in terms of community outreach uh, of lead. And it's yeah. quite interesting, you know, for small business in particular, diverse businesses and it doesn't hit really the radar till you say it could be more than a couple of hours, right? It's the the duration of an emergency, right? Yeah. You know, if it's two hours of no internet, you know, whoop-de-doo, you know, right. you can
1: probably manage. But if it's a couple of days, that's obviously different a different scenario. Because it's not just that. I mean, like on the power outage, and the power outage can come from a lot of different things. We come from come from a public safety power shutoff, a PSPS event, as we call it it's not just that or it could be coming from an earthquake or um flood or whatever you know, exactly. etc is that it's not just the not internet it's uh your atms don't work maybe you have your phone you have to charge your phone you know your you know your cell phones don't work all those kinds of other things so thinking about ultimate power and also um Alternate access is just really key because a lot of people think, oh, I'll be fine. You said, yeah, I can handle for a day or so. But if he comes in two days, three days, you still need to eat. You still need to your daily living has to has to be uh, maintained kind of thing. So so that's definitely a tough, tough situation. And the other thing that we want to also kind of share is that a lot of people, a lot of kind of the common theme that we see when we meet with clients and they say, oh, here's my plan. They might have a plan that might guide them for maybe a week or two. And so on a short-term level, and maybe thinks about their life safety issues of making sure everyone gets out of the building and everyone's safe and those kinds of things, that's fine. But on business continuity, what basically the other side of the coin of thinking about your short-term response, Short-term recovery, but also long-term recovery. You know, Mm -hmm. you can make the argument that Hurricane Katrina impacted areas of, you know, Louisiana and the whole Gulf states, they're still long-term recovery efforts. So like recovery is as the day is long. And so as a result, you'd also know what a lot of people do is they don't may not go far enough in their catastrophic thinking about what their contingencies might be. So thinking about not just what your short-term response process is, making sure everyone's safe, they're out of the building, they're accounted for, et cetera. It's the requirement that they're also thinking short-term, like let's say 30 days, I have to go to another building or I'm going to alternate staffing pattern because not everyone can get in the building because the roads are closed or whatever it may be. But also thinking of my whole building needs to be rebuilt. Okay, what am I going to do next? I don't know. So just a thought. No, it right. makes
0: sense. You know, if if you take urban hubs, shall we say, right? Whether it's California, or otherwise, with the shortage of not just housing but also commercial space, right? If a large portion of the inventory is no longer available, it would be uh, people would be hard pressed, right? Uh, when they want want to look for space for their companies, I would think. So, I think we forget that sometimes, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, a great example of that is Paradise. With the campfire in 2018, an entire community lost their hospital. Not just because it really wasn't that deeply impacted by the fire itself; there was some damage, but it wasn't significant. The problem was, 14,000 people lost their homes. There was no housing for the hospital personnel, so they had to close a 200-bed hospital in a critical area of there's not a lot of healthcare, you know, of that. Nature of a level, level two hospital in in that community, and it lost the hospital for up to three years. They had to close it, and twelve hundred people lost their homes, uh, lost their jobs because there was no housing. So it's not always just the building itself being damaged. It's you they had to look at could they bring um, could they bring those services back, and it wasn't going to be for three years. So they just closed the hospital. So that's just an example. Um, yeah, that's pretty major, um, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Yeah. What other
0: so healthcare is one of the areas you spoke to. What other areas do you sort of are you involved in? What industry sure. segments?
1: We've worked in the construction industry. We've done things like crane failures response plans and construction failure response plans and wildlife impact plans. Should a you know spotted owl show up in your you know construction site and how are you going to deal with the issue of making sure that the habitat is protected, but making sure that, you know, so we've done those kinds of things. Uh, We have several law firm clients. We've done counties. We've we've done cities. We've done state agencies. um, And our goal is to provide organizations with the tools that they need to be effective Really, our our mission is to seek organizations to assist organizations in creating safe communities and disaster resilient communities through really innovative approaches to disaster response and recovery. And we really do, we look very much at industry best practices of implementing those and to try to be as efficient as possible with your dollars, because our goal is not just to be a one off relation. We want to have a long term want to be your long term partner and being there to support your organization's growth, but more importantly, support your organization's survivability after disaster.
0: Yeah, what I like about what you say is you know, it's one thing to have a plan, it's another thing to have a team that you can actually call on when it hits, right? And that's of course not everybody offers that, right? No, so that's I think something you do.
1: Yeah. We find that there's organizations that just do kind of, you know, active shooter drills. Yes, we do those, it's great. And workplace violence de-escalation and we're happy to do those. And, you know, how to activate your instant command and how to create an instant command system, we do that. There's organizations out there that just do business continuity planning and don't really understand emergency management and how that works. We do both with the understanding of, we want to look at your organization holistically and say, what are your short term response process? What are your sh- short and long term recovery goals? And how can we make sure that they're aligned with each other? Because oftentimes we see your facilities or administration or folks are the ones that do your emergency operations plans and your business continuity plans. Oftentimes, not always, but sometimes comes on your IT side of things. You have your IT right. disaster recovery plan, you have know, your ISO et cetera, which is fine. But your organization's far more than just your IT. It's obviously a critical piece to your business and your organization, but also your supply chain, your staff, your business mm-hmm. process, you know, your building itself or your work location, or even, you know, if, if you have remote workers. But And so what org- we look at your organization really holistically and say, this is how we can know that you can survive a disaster And, you know, on, and we also sometimes we're caught, you know, again, when people, they call us when they have a regulatory need and they're about to get surveyed by some kind of regulatory body, fine. Or they want some peace of mind because their organization, a similar company or business, oh my God, that could happen to us. I, I, we need some help, fine. But then we also hear after the fact of like Hurricane Sandy, we spent a fair amount of time in New York. York and New Jersey area, working with organizations that were deeply impacted by Hurricane Sandy, of uh, all the things that they had to do, all the logistical issues they had to do on their recovery, and making sure right. that we survive future severe weather events. So it will brought, be brought in at different times. The severe weather events are tough because we can't look at historical modeling anymore to determine this is what we, we think it's going to go this way. And, and it might be a very different outcome because of climate change. I and mean, that's it's kind of a it's not a maybe it's an absolute in, in our industry just because it, you can't have a lot of deniers when you say, well, you expect modeling says we expect 12 inches of rain due to this hurricane. But we actually got, you know, four and a half feet much different. Yeah, I was
0: going to ask you how long. So let's say you know listeners contemplate, you know, what they might want to do. What is sort of a timeline, you know, for the kind of process that you're describing?
1: Or, it just depends on what the engagement is. Sometimes people bring us in for just training or just drills and exercises. They have an existing plan and we'll just do that. Um, That's what one of our law firm clients is having us do is just come in. We've already written our plan. We're going to do an exercise. To test our gaps, and then we'll figure out. We'll, from that point on, we'll figure out uh, updating their plan. The engagement generally, it's you know three to six months. Depends mm-hmm. on how extensive, how big your organization is, how nimble you might organization or an agency or business might be. Three to six months, ideally, we want to spend some time with you of figuring out. Our goal is to have that senior leadership and line level staff engagement and, and buy-in because the process goes a lot better when you have individuals that are like okay this is important thing to do and okay yeah this is, rather than sitting there and staff you're doing an exercise and they're like this is dumb this will never happen why am i here this is a waste of my time i gotta get back to work i'm not gonna do this stupid flare drill but this is dumb well those kind of activities might save your save your life. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, it's under, you know, I think any,
0: anybody who's ever been close to experienced any kind of disaster don't have to convince them. It's, uh, it's people who have been lucky enough not to have been touched. Right. Yeah.
1: For sure. And you know, the issue is a lot of kind of the underlying thought process. It'll never happen to me. It happened to my neighbor. It happened to someone across the country. It won't happen to me, which is fine To have that thought process, but 40 to 60% of businesses fail within a year after disaster if they don't have a plan. And that's that's the FEMA and also International Institute for Business and Home Safety statistic. We've seen, you know, 40 to 60, depending on who you ask, but those are huge odds. And organizations and businesses that spend years building amazing businesses, amazing organizations, you know, it can be cut short in a very short time when they just don't see things coming. So that's why the risk assessment that I talked about a little bit ago is so crucial right. to identify what those risks are. Does it mean that you have to have planned for everything? No. But it's asking the questions of, you know what your risks are? Just one simple thing is I have a client It was like quite a Quite a while ago, they, until we did a hazard vulnerability analysis session with them, they did not realize that their sewer was a real business continuity issue because once they kind of put two and two together, you know, we've lost six days of work in the last two years because our sewer went out. Well, what do you know? They they fixed the sewer and it's no longer a continuity issue. Or it's just one small example of how having your business be down. even a short amount of time can wreak a lot of havoc with your operations, with your staff, with your customers, with, you know, whatever kind of crucial work that you do every day.
0: The immediate thought goes to retail, right? If your store cannot open, whatever it may be, right? That's no revenue that day, for instance, right? And how many small businesses can survive that if that's a whole week, right? right. And I, I found in talking to people that, you know, even hair salons, they're like, I oh, would just close for a day. And so when you do the math, if you actually calculate what the daily loss is, then all of a sudden it becomes a little bit more tangible, right? Because in some ways. Until you really look, like you said, and uh, do a risk assessment and see where A, the cause is, but also how does it impact the rest of the business? It's not so apparent, right?
1: Right. You think that it's it's survivable. And sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not. And even you're going to get a close call, the close calls are actually, use those as wake-up calls, essentially. Of right, And it may not have happened to have to happen to you, but maybe happened to someone else in your industry. Or a colleague or someone you see or something you see on LinkedIn and go, damn, that really can. I never considered that hazard. Emergency managers, our goal is to not just, you know, shake your finger at you and say, Oh, you really need to get your act together. That's not our role at all. Our role is to kind of guide and have you see where where the gaps are and to close them. Because when we want you to fail spectacularly during the drill, I mean, the whole goal of failing spectacularly and really in a big way is to find those plan gaps. And so you close those plan gaps, you go, oh, okay, we're not going to have to deal with that because we know that that was, oh, we hadn't considered this. It's an opportunity, part of that process improvement to update your plan based on those findings. You write an after action report and go, oh, you know, we forgot stuff. That's okay. That's human nature. But as long as you learn from those mistakes, the most frustrating thing that we see is organizations maybe do drills on a regular basis, but they're not based on what's related in the plan. And they also don't write an after action report and they don't know where the findings are. And let's say them have an extra, you know, they have an uh, another exercise a year later or six months later or whatever and the exact same issues come up because you didn't fix the plan. The whole point of the right. exercise is to not do the exercise, the point of it to find the plan gaps and figure out what you can do better. So on that note, while
0: companies, small and large, consider you know, engaging somebody like you and, and really learning from your expertise, what can, are there some tips that you can give us sort of the, the first three things that you can do yourself? Or how do yeah. you even get ready for, for retaining somebody like you?
1: Sure. The first thing is, I mean, the hazard vulnerability analysis process that I had talked about doesn't really take that long. And actually, you can do it yourself. You can Google Kaiser Permanente Hazard Vulnerability Analysis Tool, and it already has all the formulas completed. There's instructions. It's open source. Highly recommend it. We use it for our clients because it's really straightforward, straightforward. It's not overwhelming. It doesn't take that much time for you to find out where your gaps are. So definitely know, find what those risks are. Go And there's like 20 risks there, 20 or 25 or something. They all aren't going to all apply to you. Figure out something that's, good, you know, the whole point is to think of your top three to five and come up with a plan for those top three. It might be cyber breach, earthquake, it might be, you know, flood, fire, active shooter, or Or place violence, you know, incident, whatever those things are, but come up with a plan for the top five, maybe seven things, because then you have a better sense of what you're going to do and keep keep that process going. The other thing that you can do is have a plan. It doesn't have to be beautiful. It doesn't have to be, but it's what you want to happen or what you should happen based on your existing business process. So write a plan down and you got to start somewhere. Just write it down. There's tools out there. There's, there are some templates out there. We have a template, which is great as well. That's really pretty comprehensive. There's simple ones on the FEMA website and the SBA website, et cetera, about uh, templates, which is out there. but write a plan about what your organization is going to do in disaster. And then you might say, oh, this is more than I know how to do, or I have time to do, or I'm able to do. So then I say, okay, maybe I need some help, which is fine. Then you can call us, no problem. And then the last thing, as I mentioned, is plan testing because if people just have a plan and if you don't test it, you don't know where those gaps are. And you really want to do all those things at least once a year or at least every two years at the most, because think about the technology you were using two years ago. Think about your business process that you were right. doing two years ago. I'm sure those things have changed. You use new technology. You, you, you know, you have added staff. You have now 50 more employees than you did two years ago. You're going to do things differently. You know, Kevin Hale from Y Combinator once told me, he said, every, per, every time you add 10 employees, your complete your whole business process changes. I was like, oh, okay, that totally makes sense. You know, we have less we just have a little less than 10 employees. And when you say when you have less than 10 employees, Every time you add a new person, your whole business process changes, which is true. So think about that, your business process and your way of doing things. So write that down. Do a risk assessment, write it down, and test it. Those are right. That's my
0: my advice. Well, thank you, Nora. You've been very generous with your time today. I I really appreciate it. I I think our listeners will too. Let's see how in a year from now, things have evolved. I think sort of listening to you in terms of, you know, update, update, update. There might be some developments in your industry as well, or even in your company. I'd love to have you back and kind of do sort of a comparison, you know, 2020, January, you know, uh, here we are and where are we then? Right. So to kind of see how we all evolve and hopefully can support each other also, right, as a larger community
1: absolutely so, you
0: know, thank you
1: very and much, thank you, and thank you for everything you do for the work in highlighting the important work of, of others that's it's not an easy job so i appreciate that so thank you very much for having us
0: oh my pleasure take care huh all right bye bye, bye. thank you for joining me we hope you enjoyed today's episode of on the wire For more information about our podcast series or other information such as blogs, services, and news, please visit our website at www.artemia.com. From the team at Artemia, thank you again for tuning in. This is Barbara Wigman signing off.